Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Liz Milliron to the podcast today. Liz is the author of the Laurel Highlands Mystery Series, set in the scenic Laurel Highlands of southwestern Pennsylvania, and the Homefront Mysteries, set in Buffalo, New York, during the early years of World War II. She is a member of Sisters in Crime, Penn Writers, International Thriller Writers, and the Historical Novel Society. Liz splits her time between Pittsburgh and the Laurel Highlands, where she lives with her husband and a ridiculously spoiled retired racer greyhound. Liz, I'm so excited that we're going to have this conversation. Yes, so am I. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, Well, I'm going to start, as I always do on this podcast. Um, When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Well, you know, that's an interesting question for for play or for reels, as the kids say. (laughs) Um, I think I always shock. This is going to come to a shocker, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But I was not popular in middle school, uh, what they used to call junior high. And I was a really good writer and my friend is a really good artist, my best friend, who was also not popular. So we kind of took solace in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we got, that's how we survived is we, we first, we did a comic book and then we were like, Hey, we could actually write a novel. Um, and it was horrible. I found an early copy like years and years ago. It was, it was really terrible. Um, but I don't think I, and then I went to college and I was an English major. And of course, all English majors are going to write the next great American novel. Uh, But I don't think I seriously thought of writing a novel until it was the late 90s. I was married. I'd always read a lot of mystery. And I said, you know, I can do this. I could totally write a book. Like, how hard can it be? (laughs) Um, And I got about half to two thirds done. And then I had kids, which, you know, kind of stopped it for forever. Um, until I lost my job in 2011 and I was kind of panicking. Like now I've got school age kids. They were in private school. I had a mortgage. I had a car payment. I was like, what am I going to do? I got to go out and get another job. I got to get an income. And my husband who'd always been on me to finish the book is like, what if you didn't, what if you took the summer off, take six months? And what if you finished that book? So I did, um, and I, I, I spent that summer on unemployment, you know, doing the drive the kids to swim practice thing, taking my laptop with me. And I finished the book and it was more to prove to myself that I could mm-hmm. finish a book. Um, and at the end of the summer, I did. I had a manuscript and of course it wasn't very good. You know, looking back on it, the, the first book is never very good. Uh, but it proved to me that one, I could do it. And two, I really liked doing it. Like this was what I really wanted to do. Um, I did unfortunately have to go back to work, get a real corporate job. But I think that 2011 summer was like, yeah, I can, I can do this. And I want to do this. I want to walk into a bookstore and see my name on the shelf. 
And did you, had you been taking craft classes? How did you, how did you learn how to write a book? How did you develop I, your craft? I had not reading, like until that summer, I hadn't done anything. I didn't even know that there was a, it's so funny looking back on it. It was like, how hard, again, how hard can it be? You just sit down and you just write the book, right? Uh, Hank Phillippe Ryan is like echoing in my brain right now. Um, and I, I thought, well, I read a ton of mystery novels. I've been reading mystery novels since I was 12. And we won't talk about how old I was in 2011. And how I can do this. I can push a noun against a verb. So I did. I just sat down and started writing. I had no concept of structure or plot arcs or character arcs right. or anything. Um, and then I took that manuscript clutched in my dirty little hands and I walked into the local book indie bookshop, Mystery Lovers Bookshop, because there was a group writing there called Sisters in Crime. And I thought, oh, well, what better place to learn how, you know, just take the next, I can take this, this manuscript, this masterpiece that I've written and get it published. And, um, they were very welcoming and they were very nice and said, sit down and looked at my manuscript and said, uh, oh, yeah, you've got a lot to learn, <laughs> a lot to learn. <laughs> so was it a writing group or was it a meeting or, um, it, it was a meeting. It was a chapter meeting. It turned out of the Pittsburgh sisters in crime. Um, because when I walked into Mystery Lovers the first time, I'd heard, I'd read an article, an article in the local paper that was about this bookstore, and they mentioned it was a meeting place for this group called Sisters in Crime. And again, like I said, what better place to write a mystery novel than Sisters in Crime, right? Right. Uh, so what I they, I walked in, the owner at the time, uh, Mary Ellis Gorman, told me, "No, come back on this date," and it was the monthly chapter meeting. So there were writers um, in all stages of their careers. Nancy mm -hmm. Martin was there, who of course has published, I don't even want to know how many books, um, lots of people who have gone on to be published. And it they were really, you know, like, okay, you wrote a book, good job. You got to the end. Um, and now we're going to teach you everything you didn't know about how That's to write awesome. a book. Right. Right. That's great. That's great. I mean, that's a, that's a strong chapter in Sisters in Crime too. Yeah. I didn't start learning about how to write a book until I didn't even know there was a way to do it until I met that group. So. Yeah. And then how did you continue, you know, you've been writing um, ever since, but mm -hmm. what, was there something particular that sparked for you or a book or a class or, or anything that sort of was like, Oh, here we go. Well, of course, there were a lot of workshops with uh, the chapter. Um, there, were, I took a lot of classes with the late dear Ramona DeFelice Long, oh. um, who was an independent editor. She was kind of like an honorary chapter member for us. She did a lot of courses on characters and, and setting and plot. And I took some classes through Sync National because I eventually joined there and, you know, did uh, some pre-BoucherCon classes. Yep. Um, and I don't know that there was one moment that it really all sunk in. It was, and I did took some classes through pen writers as well. And I don't know that it was, like I said, one moment, but it was the more I learned, the more it was like, Oh, and then I was able to look at all the books that I enjoyed and been like, Oh, that's why I really enjoy them. 
that yeah. that's why. Oh, yeah. if I want to do this, if I want to be Mary Higgins Clark, like I dreamed of when I was 13, um, I got to learn how to do this. You know, mm-hmm. th- this is what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, I want to just, uh, echo and and bring up uh Ramona DeFleece Long's name yeah. again. Um she was an amazing uh, editor and teacher and part of the community um and uh still has a writing a morning sprint club um yeah. that every that morning is is in her honor and uh and was an amazing member of Sisters in Crime. And so yeah, uh, she was just, is, just an all around joy. Really joy. Yeah, Yeah. if you knew Ramona, she was she loved writers. You know, she she really she loved teaching. She loved writing, but but she really just she's missed. Yes, very very much so, Um, but not forgotten, and which is why no, we want to bring her up. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. So you write both historical and present day. Yes. Tell me about the journey there. I mean, because mysteries are mysteries, but historical mysteries have that added layer of accuracy and research and finding your way into why am I telling the story about this time now, you know? Um, So tell me about the journey there. Well, I started off with contemporary. I started off present day. Um, and actually, uh, Ramona was instrumental in getting me started. She read my very first Laurel Highlands mystery. She edited it, the short story. And she's like, you've got a really nice police procedural. And I went, ah, I don't want to do police procedural. That's hard. You got to research police procedural. Um, but then it turned out that that's what I read. So of course that was what I was going to write. Um, and a couple of, I, I have a friend who writes historical and I'm always like, no, I don't, I'm not doing historical. I don't write historical. So historical, as you said, is hard. Like you've got to get all the details, right? And then uh, back in, I think it would have been 2015, um, then member of the Pittsburgh chapter, Martha Reed, issued um, a short story challenge because we were looking at all of the awards and noticing how many short stories came out of these anthologies. Like BoucherCon has an anthology and Malice has one and all of these themed anthologies. So the challenge was to write as many short stories as possible and apply to these anthologies. Cool. I can do short fiction. But the malice, when they, malice that year, when they threw out their proposal, it was mystery most historical. And I thought, I don't write historical. I don't, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that amount of research. And then I got this what if idea, like it just came, kind of came out of sort of nowhere. I started thinking about my grandmother whose name was Betty and did work for Bell Aircraft during World War II. And I thought, well, what if she showed up for work one day and her supervisor was dead? And of course, once you think of the idea, you can't let it go. Right. Uh, So I wrote that short story. And I was like, okay, but that's just a short story. I still, I don't write historical novels. That's, that's really hard. Um, and then I, I was trying to sell the Laurel Highland series and I wasn't selling it. I was getting a lot of, I was getting good feedback from people, but I couldn't, couldn't sell it. And I thought to myself, well, if I don't, what's the point of continuing to write books in that series if I'm not selling it? And if I don't decide to self-publish it, maybe I should try something else. 
And I thought, well, what else am I going to do? And I thought of an idea for a historical novel. And my first thought was, are you insane? Are you crazy? Like, (laughs) really? Um, But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, why not? Why not do it? So I did. And, and it sold. And now I'm on book. I just, I've just turned in book four. So it was kind of a, I don't, I went from, I do not write historical because it's really too hard to, it's kind of cool to do historical. It's something different. It's, it's, there's research on either ends and the research is just differently. Yes. Yes. Um, But historical, uh, you know, there's, it's interesting because when you're looking at you know, a, a diagram, there are his, people who read historicals, people who read mysteries, and then there's the people who read historical mysteries. So your pool right. of potential readers is also expanded exponentially yes. because you're writing in two different genres. So that's another interesting aspect to them. Yeah. Um, and I've been, I've been at book events where, um, what's drawn people to that series is not so much that they're a mystery reader, but they like reading about World War II. They like books set in that time period. And I'm like, well, I've got a book set in the time period. And and yeah, there's a de- couple of dead bodies, but yeah. it's a lot about that time period too. Um, and I've had people pick it up and be like, oh, my grandfather would really love that because he loves books set in World War II. Right. Um, so I definitely get readers who are more drawn to the historical aspect um, than necessarily just the mystery aspect. So what's your process like for writing now? Um, <laughs> you've been doing this for 11 years. Um, you know, we talk about plotters and pantsers and, but you know, it's also process. Do you have a different process for writing the current day, anything in current day to historical? I mean, what, what, how do you, how does this I, all work for you? I do not have a different <laughs> Uh, process. Do I have a process? That's, that's, that's the first question. Do I have a process? I do. Um, it's not different based on contemporary or historical. They both start with kind of, a an idea. Like I come up with an idea of, Hey, what if this, um, and sometimes the, what if is sparked by, um, something I read in the newspaper or something I overhear. Uh, the next book that I'm going to start writing for the historical series is based on a, an orphanage that used to exist in Buffalo. So what if someone from this orphanage comes back and hires Betty to find his birth mother? You know, it's always the what if. Um, From there, I have learned, and I have learned the hard way, I am not a plotter. Like my hats go off to anybody who can sit down and actually plot the novel. Um, I get into trouble every time I try to do it. Um, Mostly my critique group telling me no, no, it just doesn't work. It's too, I'm too focused on the end goal and I ignore all the stuff that's going around it. So I usually have my victim and I know how my victim uh, died. And then I try to think of four or five people who could have killed that person. And I put them in, it's almost like mind mapping software, if anybody's familiar with that, where I have the victim in the middle and then I just start putting post-it notes. I used it. I'm digital. I'm all digital because paper and I just, I lose paper. Uh, but you could do the same, uh, exercise with post-it notes or a big board or drawing or whatever it is. Um, and I just come up with those five people and like, well, this one could, this one, I could have this color for this motive, this color for this motive, whatever. And then I have my web 
And then I start branching out to think, okay, how do they get there? Like, how would that, you know, and then how would those ideas connect to each other? And I use a program called Scapple. Um, Mm -hmm. It's made by the same people who make Scrivener. Um, But you like I said, you can do this with post-it notes and, and lined, colored lines. And once I have kind of that central core, here's my victim, here are my suspects, here are a few details, then I can start writing. And I can write about 50 pages and then step back and say, okay, what's happened in those 50 pages? And then I can plot out like about three or four scenes in advance. Um, My friend Annette Bashevi came up with a great term for this called flashlighting. And it's, I think it's Orson Scott Card who said it, you know, it's like driving at night with your headlights on. You can't Mm -hmm. see the whole way. You can't see your destination, but you can make the trip. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. So I can plot out about three, four scenes in advance. And then I write those three, four scenes and okay, well now what's happened. Okay. Well, I could go here. I could go here and then plot three more scenes. Um, and eventually I reach the end of the book. And then of course I have to go back and revise it, but it, the plotting. Yeah. Just no. <laughs> so, but this mind mapping and scapel, um, I'll put that in the show notes because it is a really great program, um, and fun to use, but do you have a scapel board that is yes. for your series so that you also remember what else, who else has been there and where you've been or how do you no, do you have I a story Bible? How do you, I, how do, you I do have track? a story. I do not have a scaffold board for the whole series. Like I have a, a board for each book. Um, I do have a story Bible. I, I realized uh, when I got to about a book three or four of the Laurel Highland series and went, wait, I talked about this person back in book one, but I had no remembrance of and I had to go back to the manuscript and start searching. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. You can't continue to do this. Um, so I do have a, a, it's a big giant spreadsheet, really. I don't know how efficient it is, but it works for me, which is just every character name, the books that they appear in, their pertinent details, eye color, height, weight, their backstory, you know, if, you know, things that have happened to them there. I realized, and it's, it's grown over time. I realized I had to start capturing sibling names and, you know, parent names. And then I realized I had to capture ages and, oh yeah, what about birth dates? Um, right. When I actually skipped an entire year of a, char- a character's life, I'm like, oh wait, no, he can't be 20. He's was 19 in the last book and it's only three months later. Um, So then I can go back to that spreadsheet when I start a book and I can filter it on series and, you know, I can say, okay, who are my cast of characters? And then I have another spreadsheet for significant locations. So if I want to send them back to a particular restaurant or a diner or something like that, I know where it is. I know what I've said about it in the past. So I don't lose those little pieces. Um, And that way, if I'm working on book you know, five. And I realize, oh, I want to reuse that thing I said in book three, I can go back and filter on book three and be like, oh, okay, that that's where it is. And do you update the spreadsheet as you write or do you do it yes. in between revisions or how, how does that work? Yes. 
both of it. I will, I will visit the spreadsheet before I start writing and be like, okay, how much time, you know, what's their age? What was their time, their age in the last book? Okay. How much time has elapsed? So how much is, you know, has their, have they had a birthday? Has their age changed? Um, remind myself of the details. Um, and then I'll update it with things that are changing in the current book. And then when I get into revisions, if I have to continue to make tweaks, I will do that. And I'll do that pretty much from the start of the manuscript until I'm done, until I've turned it into the publisher. So it's kind of a, it's very much a living document. It's not static at any point in time. And do you write in Scrivener? Because you mentioned that Scapple is is created by the same company or or are you a word writer or how do you? No, I write, I write in Scrivener. Um, I, I love the scene, the the fact that Scrivener forces me to think in chunks in scenes so I can write scene by scene. Um, I can focus on just what I want to accomplish for that scene instead of being overwhelmed by the whole book in its entirety. And it's really nice when I decide, oh, wait, no, I want to drop a chapter break here. I can just drop the chapter break. I can drag the scenes or, hey, this scene happens in chapter 15, but I really need to move it up to happen in chapter five. Mm-hmm. I can just drag it up instead of doing this whole cut and pasted word thing that I tried that was really bad. Um, so I do write in Scrivener. But when I submit it to either my critique group for their their feedback or to my publisher, I export it into Word and make sure the formatting is all correct. And it goes, it's in Word when I send it off. Of course, it's in Word when my publisher sends it back with comments, but I go back to Scrivener, make all the changes, yep. export it into Word again. So Scrivener is always the gold standard for yeah. me. And you talked about your critique group. Tell me how that came about and how it's useful. Because, you know, when I talk to people, it, that that can go either way. You've got to find oh, yeah. a really good critique group. Um, so, oh, yeah. so how do you all support each other? Um, I love my critique group. I could not have written one book, much less um, however many I've lost count uh, I have written without them. I had tried, as you said, I've tried a couple of critique groups and it had not gone well. And I knew that Annette, again, I'll go back to Annette, she had a group of members from the local chapter. And I was really envious. I was like envious of this critique group. And she and I went to Writers Police Academy back in 2014. And we roomed together. And she said, hey, uh, one of the members of the group is dropping out. Would you like to join us? I said, yes. And she said, no, 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 take some time. Think about it. You know, make this because this is a big commitment we do. And I'm like, yes. She's like, no, Mary, you really need to to think about this. And I said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, I've thought about it. Yes. (laughs) And she laughed. Uh, So what we do is every month we exchange uh, 50 pages, roughly, um, of whatever our work in progress is. Sometimes we're writing short stories and it's less. Sometimes we're on deadline and it has to be more. And we'll read it and we're looking for everything, really. Continuity issues, things that don't make sense. This character does not sound like a character would sound. Um, you said this three times already. Cut some of this. Um, this is too verbose. This, you know, this plot point doesn't make any sense. You forgot to wrap up that thread. 
that, you know, you've been carrying for a while. I mean, we're really looking for everything. Um, as well as, you know, we'll be like, hey, you misspelled this character's name or you changed their name from the last time, you know, little stuff like that. And, uh, but they'll, they give all that feedback and they say, you know, this is what's working. This is what isn't working. And then I take that back and I go through it and balance what they tell me against what I want to accomplish with the book and revise it and then move on and we'll do it the next month. So they're really, I, I, like I said, I love my critique group. I couldn't do this without them because otherwise I'd be flailing in the dark and wouldn't have a clue. So. Well, that's a lot. How many people are in the group? Just four of us. And well, we that's... keep it to four. It, yeah. like it is, it's a group by invitation only. Um, it's just the four of us because it is a lot. It's 150 pages in a week that you're yeah. reading. Um, we could not do it with more than four people. Right. Um, and I've had people say to me, well, how do I get in that group? You don't. It, it's okay. it's closed. Sorry. It's, you know, invitation only. If we had, we had another person drop out, we invited another guy to come in and join us. We think very carefully about the dynamic of the group and who's right. going to fit in with us. And we're all crime fiction writers. Um, we're all, we have one gentleman who's self-published. He write, also writes historicals. Um, we're all at different stages of our career, uh, in terms of number of novels published. Um, but not just anybody can work because it is a very, very balanced, it's a big commitment and it's a very balanced dynamic. Yeah. Um, and it's, there's a lot of trust. I mean, you're a writer, you, you know, this, you can't just pull somebody off the street and hand them your manuscript, hand them your right. baby and say, Hey, tell me what you think, because your ego can be crushed. Oh, so quickly. <laughs> well, it's also, um, harm can be done. And that's why it's important oh, to, um, find a critique group that works for you. Um, and you know, again, learn how to take the criticism, but also make sure that, it's good. It, it's helpful. I think being in a group with all crime writers is also helpful because they understand yeah. what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's a couple of people have asked me, they're like, well, how do you know if you're in a good critique group? And it's like, well, if you leave that meeting energized to go back to your book and make it better, then that's a good group. Right. You know, if, if, if you can recognize that they've given you a lot of, a lot of feedback and a lot of, you know, they're holding you to a high standard, but you're, but you leave happy and wanting to do more, that's a good group. If you leave that book, that group, and you want to go cry and never write another word, right. it's probably not the right group for you. Probably not the right group is for sure. And that has happened, right? I mean, I think oh, we, yes. know, we've, you all, <laughs> so, so that's a great, great way to think. And you said you meet once a month? Once a month. Yeah. Once a month. Yeah. Usually so. the first Sunday of the month unless there are scheduling issues going on, but we try to be, we try to be fairly, fairly consistent. Yeah. No, that's great. It's really great. What's the best piece of advice and the worst piece of advice, writing advice you've ever gotten? Uh, um, well, the best piece of advice, that's easy, which was join Sisters in Crime. <laughs> um, and I think the best piece of advice, if you wanted to make it more general, is you have to find your tribe. Um, because this is a really hard thing to do, to write a book and to get it published. And there's a lot of things that are hard to accept, that are hard to deal with, that are hard to live with. 
when you're writing, not just the writing of the book, but the publishing of the book, because we've all heard of authors who get their series canceled, who their editor leaves the publisher, they get orphaned with their, their they break up with their agents. Um, you really need a group of people who understand what it's like to be a writer. You know, they, that you, they can pop the cork and share the chocolates with you when things are going well. You can cry on their shoulders when things aren't going well and they can help you learn what you need to learn to be successful. So the best piece of advice I ever got was go join this group over here um, because they know what's going on. Um, the worst piece of advice, it was so fun. That's, it's funny you should ask that because uh, I was on a panel at the last Malice, Ed Amar asked the same question. I'm not fond of absolutes uh, except when it comes to personal hygiene. Um, <laughs> always wash your hands in the bathroom. I don't like advice that is like, you always have to do this or you never have to do that or never do that. Right. Um, because I think that's too limiting. You have to find what works for you. Like you always have to plot. No, you don't. You know, you've got to find what works for you. Um, never use adverbs. Adverbs are a perfectly fine piece of language. Why would you like exclude all of them from your writing? That doesn't work either. Um, use them correctly. Use them wisely. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I just, you always have to write every day. Well, sometimes you can't. Even I can't. I'm pretty good at trying, you know, working every day, but I still work nine to five. Sometimes right. I don't have it. You know, if I, right. it's just, I try to protect that hour uh, that I have for lunch for writing but sometimes it doesn't happen. And sometimes I get to the end of the workday and I'm just spent. So I can either beat myself up because I didn't do any writing or I can say, well, you know, it just didn't happen today. It'll tomorrow's another day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not, not a fan of absolutes. Any advice that starts with always or never, not a fan. Yeah. Now you've been published uh, yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that sound like it was a question, but what <laughs> about your publishing journey? Because two series, different world, you know, what about your publishing journey has surprised you? I, hmm, it's an interesting question. What has surprised me and yet not surprised me is how that publishing is not the end. Everybody thinks that, oh, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to get it published and yay, the end. No, it's just the beginning of another phase that phase called marketing and promotion. Um, I would, I knew there was a lot for me to do with that, but I've constantly been surprised how much there is to do with that and how much that after, well, I, the first book was published in 2018. So I'm going on four years now, how much I still don't know about that. And I just, because it's just, I mean, who knows? It's like that old saying, only 15% of the marketing that works. Unfortunately, we don't know what 15% <laughs> that is. Um, just when you think you know it, you don't. Right. And, and it's, it's, it makes the marketing almost makes getting the book published easy. It makes that look easy. And we both know how that's not true. Uh, but yeah, that, that's been quite the lesson. And I'm not a marketer. I'm so not a marketer. Well, I I think uh, I think that showing up in the community 
is part of marketing. And you are very good at that, right? I mean, you just oh, you. joined the National Board for Sisters in Crime. You're active on your your chapter, um, you know, pen writers, you come to conferences, you, um, you comment on blogs. I mean, you're, you're out there. I mean, you, and not in a, you know, awful way. (laughs) Like you're out there (laughs) in that people will get to, you know, cause some, sometimes that, that can be much, but, um, so you are present. And I think that's part of it because it does change how you market and, and where you can put things and how it's oh, yeah. going to work changes every time you do it for the well, next yeah. book. And what, and what you did that might've worked for the last book right. might not work for the next book. So right. the best you can do is, I mean, I, I guess kind of like you said, you be out there, people recognize you and, you know, hopefully they recognize you in a good way. I try yeah. not to you know, I try to be a good citizen of the community. Um, and then you got to hope that they like you enough to say, oh, well, she's a great person and she wrote a book and maybe I'll give it a shot. Right, right, right. Um, and then recognize also what hooks you might have with the book, um, you know, because yeah. uh, every book will have a different hook and <clears throat> potential audience. Um, but And you can't write for that, but at the same time, you know. Right. If given a choice between <laughs> writing a book that takes place in early December or closer to the holidays, you know, maybe push it closer to the holidays because <laughs> exactly. then you got that, you know. Um, do you enjoy writing? I mean, because publishing, being on deadline, as you said, you work full time, you've got a family. Um, do you enjoy writing as much as you did in the early days when there weren't contracts and deadlines? I think so. Um, I, I, you, you think about that sometimes. Um, but I think so. Um, there have been times that when I start to feel that it's overwhelming, like if I open up my laptop and I just go, Ugh, I got to do this again. That's usually a sign that I need to take a break for a day and yeah. go read a book or play with my dog or, you know, do something. Um, that's not a good sign. And forcing yourself to write is through that is not a right. good thing. Uh, but I still do. I still do like, if given a choice between writing a software manual and writing a murder mystery, I'd know what, I know which one I'd rather do. Uh, and I, I still do like coming up with ideas and like, oh, well, you know, I could have her do this. I could have them. That would be cool. So yeah, I think overall. And do you continue to think about new series, different series. I mean, you know, I do. getting published is one challenge. Staying published is another challenge. Um, so, uh, you know, do you, are you sort of had, do you have new ideas percolating or short stories or other things or, uh, you know, how's yes. that working? Yeah, no, I do. Um, actually right now I'm, I'm nearing the end of the contract on the Laurel Highland series. I, I will turn in a book at the end of the year and it will be the last book under contract. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to get another contract with that one. Uh, but I'm going back to a book I wrote several years ago, um, and revising it. And I think I'm, I'm actually going to go back to trying to get an agent. I'm going to try that, that road again, try to snag the agent, uh, with this one. It's a contemporary, it's another contemporary police procedural. This one's set in Niagara Falls, um, with a detective who has PTSD. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to see. And I'm having a lot of fun. I'm having more fun than I thought revising it. 
it like, it's interesting to, to look at where I was when I wrote it and like so much that I've learned in five years. Um, and I'm both heartened by the fact that my first reaction was, wow, it doesn't suck. And, uh, and, and still enjoying the, wow, I really could have done that a lot better. (laughs) Well, that always is true. Don't you think, I mean, when you're writing, you can, I mean, you get to a point where you revise it too much and you break the book and you have to go back to another version because, you know, I screwed that up, but it's reading those earlier books is is can be heartening but it's also like oh now I know what to do now mm-hmm. I know how to fix this now I know I can give her her due by by adding this in the book which is kind of a fun thing yeah absolutely I think I mean even if I look at the books that have been published and they were the best I could do at the time mm-hmm. and I'm not and I'm proud of them but I even look at my first book Root of All Evil and I go wow I could have done I know so much more now yeah, that it could be better, which is why I try not to read my stuff too much after it's been published. Because I'm like, no, you know what? I wrote it. I'm proud of it. It's on my shelf to see to, as an accomplishment. But I'm moving, keep moving forward because I can't fix those. I can only write a new book that's better. And do you still write short fiction as well? Um, I haven't written as much lately because I've been so busy with stuff under contract. Yeah. Um, it's a a little bit of a shame because I did enjoy writing short fiction. Uh, but I just, when you're, when you own two books a year, the, the, I don't know how Edith Maxwell does it. I don't know how she writes like, I don't know, 60 books a year and five short stories (laughs) and whatever other crazy things she does on her schedule, because I just can't. Well, she would say part of it is she doesn't have a full-time job anymore. She writing is well, her full-time yes. job. Yes, that <clears throat> definitely. She, she is she is incredibly prolific. So uh, yes. <laughs> there is that. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. yeah. The, that whole full-time job thing does take a big chunk out of my day. Yeah, and a chunk of energy. Darn it. Yeah. Yes, yes, it does. But yeah. it pays the bills. So, you know, yeah, it's a balancing <laughs> act, right? And and you're building a career over time. So that's, that's the thing. It's not oh, yeah. one and done. Yeah. 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 But, but the end is in sight. I mean, I think within the next five to 10 years, I will probably retire and then I will be able to write full time and who knows what I'll be able to do at that point. Yeah. What do you, what would you, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? Oh my gosh. What a good question. Um, I wish, I wish I knew that the job was not done once the book hits the shelf. Like, or I wish I had a better understanding of that, mm-hmm. that like you always kind of, well, I don't know if you always, but I think authors today who think, well, I just want to write, forget it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you publish. It doesn't matter if you're indie published you're like me with a small press or even with your big, with the big five, yeah. you're going to have to work after the book hits the shelf. Um, and I think people know that conceptually, but I wish I had a better understanding of what that meant. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I just, it, I, and I, I wish I was, and I still wish I was better at it. Yeah. You know, well, and you're building a career, and I think that for uh, those of us who spend a long time on those first books, 
and think that's going to be it. And so I'm going to buy the URL for the series and I'm done. Um, That's not how this works. You, you may write more books. You might write series, you might write a standalone. So it's you as an author that you also have to make sure is out there and people know and recognize and follow from project to project. Oh yeah. And, and there was this definite notion of, and I think we've talked about this on other podcasts, which is there is the artistic side of the journey, which is writing the book. But then there is the business side. Mm-hmm. And you you have to, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to have a career, if you're not just going to write one book and be done with it, um, you have to know the business side and you have to approach it as a business and treat it as a business. So when I go to conferences and there are people who are not yet published and like, well, I don't need a website. What do I need a website for? What do I need a newsletter for? What do I need? You don't need all those things to write a book. You are absolutely right. You can write a book and not have any of that stuff. Don't expect to do anything with that book. It might even get published. You won't sell it. And you'll get dropped by your publisher. So if you want to be in this for the long haul, you gotta be a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. there's no way around it. You can't. Yeah. The days of the the sitting up in your attic, drinking coffee and writing your masterpiece, and then it comes down and you go back into the attic to write the next one. Uh uh-uh. uh that, That's those days are gone. Yeah. Let's stop. You know, bemoaning them and just move on. And your website at the beginning can be a blog um, oh, yeah. that you that you you can even invite other people, you cheer on other people, you announce other people's books, whatever you want to do. Oh, yeah. And then once you start getting published, you just flip it into a website. Um, yeah, and you start yeah. building it out. You know, then you have a book page, then you have an about me page, yeah. then you you know you. But you yeah, start small. This doesn't have to be you know, some whiz-bang, ultra-expensive thing from the beginning. Just go out and go to WordPress or go to Blogger or go to, you know, whatever your tool of choice is and just have a page that you talk about. And the other thing that people, what am I going to talk about? I'm not published yet. Talk about yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, talk about you. Talk about the books. What books are you reading? What authors do you enjoy? Do you have friends? You know, that's what I did when I had it. It was like, Talk about your writing journey because people love to read that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's always stuff to talk about. Yeah. And celebrate other people, I think, is, a, yes. is um, which which you all do. I mean, you know, uh, that Sisters in Crime is good at, like, be happy for and celebrate your friends as they're getting their their publishing contracts and their books out because it will be your turn at some point. Um, but also that's that's a better place to be mentally. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, you gotta be happy for other people. The pie, there's plenty of pie for everybody, you know, just because she got a book deal and you're still working on it doesn't mean that you, you know, your slice of the pie is smaller, right? There's lots of pie. So be be happy for everybody else because someday it will be your chance and you'll want people on your side. You know, you'll want people cheering for you and saying, Hey, Look, Liz has a book out. Yay! Yeah. What a great book. Yay. Yeah. No, it's exciting. It's exciting. So what's your you you know, two books a year, you got a book coming out uh due the end of the year. What what's your most recent book that's been out? 
The most recent book is uh, Light Animal Dogs. It's the fifth in the Laurel Highland series. Um, and in that book, we see Jim Duncan starting a new phase in his career. He has left patrol work for the state police, and he has moved into detective work, even though they don't call them detectives in the state police. Um, and it's his very first day as a detective. And of course, he shows up at the scene of a dead body and finds uh, an emaciated greyhound in the garage. Um, and why does this guy who hated animals have a greyhound? Um, and Sally Castle is also at a crossroads in her career. Uh, she has become dissatisfied with working for the public defender um, and dabbles in the idea of private practice. And her first client is a woman accused of embezzlement from a group that just happens to rehome greyhounds. And it turns out that the dog Jim found was supposed to go to the group that Sally's client worked for. And is there a connection or not? Sounds great. <laughs> that one came out in August. Fun. And then how about the historical? The historical, as I said earlier, I just turned in the manuscript. Uh, I actually didn't just turn it in. I just turned in the revisions, my developmental edit on the manuscript that comes out in March. That book is called The Truth We Hide. And in that book, Betty has embarked full-time on her career as a private investigator. Um, she has brought a client who has been fired from his job on suspicion of uh, leaking secrets about a naval project. Oh. And she, she, he, before Betty can get very far into the investigation, he's murdered. Um, but then she also discovers that he was homosexual. And the question is, was he murdered because of the secrets or was he murdered because of his private life? And Betty must face uh, her own beliefs and challenges to her own morals to, de to decide what she really and truly believes. Boy, that's a, a relevant topic um, set in World War II. Right? I mean, yes, yes, it yeah. was that that was very interesting. And, and I got to give a huge, huge shout out to John Copenhaver and Edwin Hill, uh, both of whom a encouraged me to write the book when I came up with the idea and I saw them at Malice and I thought, you know, I don't know if I could write this one. This one's a little scary. Don't know if I should. Um, and they both said, no, you absolutely write it. Um, and then they encouraged me when, um, you know, I needed to do the research. And then even up to the edits, when my editor came back and said, you know, you've portrayed, you've used some language uh, that's not that great. You know, nowadays in 2022, those words are not used. Are you sure you want to do this? And I went back to both John and Edwin and said, do I want to do this? And they said, yes, you want to do this because don't whitewash the past. It was the 40s. It was awful. Um, and let's not forget how awful it was in our quest to be politically correct. So, yeah, it's it's a book that is still relevant today when you look at the LGBT community and, and the perceptions of them. Well, this, it's, this is such an important conversation, and I'm so glad you brought it up, Liz. <laughs> slash Mary. So, you know, I know ours two different <laughs> names, but um, because you wanted to talk about this uh, experience that is not your own lived experience, even remotely. So you reached out to people who are 
you know, they didn't live then, but they, they have the lived experiences of being gay men right? <laughs> and um, ask them to help you understand and make sure you were accurate and that you're not doing harm by what right. you're writing. Because if we center ourselves in our own experiences, sometimes we can do harm without intending to, to a community and you don't want to do that. No, I didn't. I mean, and it was both my lived experience and not because my character is, I mean, we all, people should know that the 1940s, to say they were living in the closet is kind of an understatement. Yeah, the clo- yeah. the cellar door under, you know, the closet. Yeah. Um, my character- was illegal in a lot of places oh, yeah. to be gay. Yeah. And, and my main character is a young woman who's Catholic. I'm Catholic. Um, and she's been raised to believe that this is not, this is bad. This is sinful. This is not what you do. Um, and here she comes into contact with this, co- this client who is murdered and murdered in a very brutal fashion. And she has to face what does she believe? And, you know, she learns about him and she learns that he was a good man and he was patriotic and he loved his sister and he took care of his, you know, he had all these characteristics. Um, But she does in the course of it encounter people who are homophobic. And that's where I got the question of my language choices. And that's where Edwin and John were helpful. And when I said, you know, I don't want to hurt people, you know, should I take these words out? And John was like, look, if he's a homophobic character, let him be homophobic. Like, don't, you know, I've, don't whitewash, don't pretend these things didn't happen because right. then we're doing a different kind of harm, both to the LGBT community and to ourselves to like, because this still happens. People are yeah. still ugly and homophobic and hateful. Um, so I wanted to portray the community realistically. You know, that was my question to John, which was, you've written historical fiction about this community. What you know, what, what can I say? What should I say? Um, so he was very helpful with that. Um, and it turned out that he's like, basically if for negative stereotypes, it's everything that you've ever seen. And, and there isn't a whole lot documented, shockingly enough, not shocking, um, about that time. So I had a lot of, a lot of creative license. He's like, but you know, in terms of negativity, it was as negative as you think, um, but yeah, I didn't want to cause harm to the community today, but I also wanted to be realistic and right. really give Betty the chance to grow as a character and come to the realization. I think it, at one point in the book, she said, maybe it doesn't, maybe it matters less who you love than what kind of person you were, mm-hmm. you know, where she has, gets to experience that growth and, and hopefully other people can experience that growth with her. So it was, it was a challenge. I'm glad I did it. I'm not sure I'd ever do it again, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> and that book will be out in March of 2020. That book will be out in March. Although okay. I actually, I shouldn't say I will probably never do it again because I have an idea for book six, uh, which actually takes on uh, the black community, you know, the role of blacks in the early forties. Which again, mm-hmm. you're looking at a at a time and place where some, I mean, it's 20 years before Martin Luther King, right? And right. it's Buffalo and it's the North, so it's not the Jim Crow South, but still, right? The Army wasn't integrated. 
you know, it's still, uh, uh, that'll be an interesting one to write. I think if I go through it or, yeah, no, it's, I mean, that history of what black soldiers went through when they came back and everything else is, is heartbreaking and important to, yeah. to know about. So, well, and that's, that's the other part of historical fiction that's challenging is, you know, that there are so, there's so much in the past that's great, but there's a lot in the past that isn't great. Right. And how do you stay historically accurate while not causing harm? Mm-hmm. And it's a mm-hmm. it's a balancing act. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, but it's also important to do what you're doing, which is think it through and make sure you're you're telling the story um, honestly, which is, yeah. is great. And yeah. I think it's important to keep telling those stories because think about every generation we move away from that, we are losing the people who remember absolutely what that was like and. We have both come very far as a culture in terms of treating people who are different, and we haven't come far enough. Right. And it's important to see where we were, where we are, and where we need to be. Yeah. No, it's great. And fiction is a good way to to do that in a lot of ways. Well... I wish you luck with both the books and uh, and with this redoing your other one. And I thank you so much for a really great conversation. Yes, thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.